Welcome to the CCF Iowa podcast. Welcome back to CCF's For Everyone series. We're, we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. And this session, we're going to be talking about chapter 18. A lot of times, I'll try to go through the entirety of a chapter. This one has uh, some really good things in it, but I really wanted to kind of focus in on one parable that comes out of this chapter, and that's the parable of the lost sheep. And the reason I want to do that is because it's, it's been a little bit since we've covered parables, and so I kind of wanted to give you uh, a refresher on what parables are and kind of the the way that Jesus taught and used parables and some of the things that we know from studying some of uh, the teaching styles of Jesus' day and what most likely we should be doing in order to best understand what Jesus means by parables. Because uh, one of the keys to parables is that if we come at them from kind of our standard Western perspective that we usually use, parables are really hard and murky, and we don't always understand why Jesus is teaching what he's teaching or what he's trying to say. So let me first try to give you just a bit of a refresher on how to tackle a parable from a Second Temple Judaism era rabbinical teaching style, because that's essentially what Jesus is using. And what they like to use is a process that uh, we refer to as pardes. Pardes is kind of like an uh, abbreviation where each of the consonants stands for something in, in Jewish thought and a, and a form of teaching. And so the P in Pardes stands for Peshat. Now Peshat is essentially surface level teaching. It's as you read through the parable, as you hear the parable, it's all the stuff that are apparent from the words that are said. And so we'll do that first. We'll do a Peshat look at the parable of the lost sheep. The second uh, stage of Pardes is Remes. And, and for Remes, what you're doing is you're looking for the references back to Old Testament, back to the scripture, back to the text. Because rabbis, when they taught in this day, they were always trying to get their disciples to go back to the text, to look at scripture, to see what God's word said. And so if the rabbi could get them thinking in terms of text, then he was helping them be on the right track for what he wanted. And so he would bury ideas, bury concepts that would lead them to text. And once they got that text, it would kind of open up the parable and you would get even more of what the rabbi was trying to teach. That's remez. Tarash is what you get from that remez. It's, okay, we've done the homework, we've done the searching, we've found what we're pretty confident is the Old Testament text that the rabbi was trying to get us to. But how do we apply that? What do we do with that? What does this mean for our lives, for our walk, for our way of following God? What is this saying about us? That's Dadash. And then the last, the S stands for Sod. And Sod is essentially just this other level of thing where it's what God reveals directly to you. Um, it's, it, usually when we talk about the Holy Spirit teaching things, it's things that only the Holy Spirit could reveal to you. All right, so let's look at that text, and actually we're going to do something a little bit different um, because this is one of the parables that shows up in multiple places. And so I'm actually going to go to Luke first, and we're going to look at how Luke uses this very same parable in his gospel. And there's a few extra details that he adds in and some cool things. And so we're going to start off in Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep. We're going from verses 3 through 7 in Luke 15. 
Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Uh, and then this is actually a parable that's kind of part of what would be referred to as like the lost three parables. And so you've got these parables of these lost things. Um, and then the way, the really cool thing is, is the way that the, the main character or one of the secondary characters kind of does, goes through everything that they need to in order to find the lost thing. The shepherd, um, runs out after the, the lost sheep and leaves the 99 in the field. By the way, most shepherds have helpers with them, and so he's not, like, abandoning his sheep. There's some people who would take that reference out of it, but if this is a good shepherd and he's probably a pretty decent one to have 100 sheep in his flock, uh, he's got helpers there, and so they're watching over the sheep and he's going after the one, but he's still the primary guy who's searching after the one sheep. Just a little note there. I don't think he completely abandoned the rest of his flock. He left them under people who could care for them and then went after the one. Anyway, the woman with the coin, she, she does everything that she can. She, she goes through her house, searches high and low in order to find this lost coin. And, and my, my most familiar, my favorite parable out of the three is the prodigal son. The thing I really love about the lost son is, that, is the father in this story. Um, even though he's willing to give up the part of his inheritance to his son, it's a huge insult. It's kind of a way of the son saying, Hey, Dad, wish you were dead so I could have your stuff. Can you work that out for me? And the father acquiesces and gives his son the stuff, and then the son just wastes it, um, living, living the lifestyle that he wants to live. Uh, and then he comes back to his dad. And the favorite part is kind of a cultural thing, where at the end of this story, the father sees his son off in the distance, and he runs to his son in order to welcome back with open arms, to throw a party, to, to get him to be part of the family. And the thing that's, that's really cool about that culturally is that older men don't run. Uh, in, in that culture, in Mid Middle Eastern culture, even to this day, um, like men of importance, men of authority, they just don't run. They, their servants run. Other people run. Other people take care of their stuff. But they don't run. And yet the father was willing to, to, to risk looking undignified to his servants, to risk um, just kind of his prestige because he wanted his son to fee feel that welcome that he ran to him the son that was lost. And so you have people giving up stuff. You have people going to great lengths to get back things that are lost. That's kind of the, the sense we get from that. So that was the Luke account and kind of some of the other stories he put around it. So now we're going to look at the parable of the lost sheep in Matthew 18, and we're going to go from verses 12 to 14. And this is, What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, Will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. 
In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Um, so now, in the context of Luke, Jesus seemed to be talking about sinners. In this context here, he mentions little ones. And so he starts kind of talking about children here. So there's some different context going on between Matthew and between Luke. And, and also, Luke has some additional details. It, it talks about the shepherd throwing a, a party. He, he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Now, kind of a quick note about this. Um, the, the party that was being thrown, uh, I, I don't know if we think through the details of this, Generally, when you have a party, you invite people over and you tend to have, like, some food. Uh, you tend to have a, a meal, especially, I think, in that time. They would have been having, like, the way of having a party was to have a great feast and to kind of serve everything that you had available and everything you could spare and to be super hospitable and throw an awesome party for your friends and your neighbors. And that's the way that they would get down and that's the way they would party. But this is a shepherd. And if he's giving everything that he has, it's very likely that the main course for this feast is, is rack of lamb. So some people talk about like, oh, it's so cool. Like the shepherd went out and found that lost sheep. He had 99. Now he's back to 100 again because he carried back this lost sheep that was, you know, maybe even lame and injured. And, and he carries it on his shoulders. And at the end of the day, after throwing this party, I think the shepherd's back down to 99 sheep. Because I think one of those sheep, maybe even the lost one that wandered off, I'm not going to imply anything, one of those sheep, I think, just came, became the feast. And that's maybe a detail that we don't necessarily think about. So it's not the excitement and the happiness, hey, I found this sheep, now I've got a whole flock again. Because I don't think you celebrate having 100 sheep by getting back down to 99 sheep. Like, it just doesn't seem to make sense to celebrate in that way. I think the reason he's so happy and the reason the shepherd wants to celebrate is because he really likes finding lost things. And if we start to break down this parable, one of the things that you can do to break down a parable, even at the shot level, is start to analyze and see who are the characters here? Who do they represent? The shepherd... We've, we hear that metaphor a lot in Scripture. Uh, Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd. Uh, we see plenty of examples where the Lord is my shepherd. You may have heard that passage in Psalms. God, I think here, is representing, is, is meant to be seen as the shepherd. And God is leaving the 99 to go find the one that's lost. And then he's throwing a feast because God is overjoyed that he has gone and found something that was lost. And so that's, I think, a characteristic of God that we need to carry away from this parable that maybe we don't always point out. God likes to go and find lost things. When we take in the other account, the other Luke parables, there's the woman looking for a lost coin. Again, I think the character there is God. God is rejoicing over one sinner who repents. God is rejoicing over finding a lost coin. This is another parable where the, the metaphor for God is portrayed by a woman. And then we've got the parable of the lost son, where the father, surprisingly enough, I think the father here is God. And the father is willing to run to, to meet up with the son that was lost. He, he, he's waiting for the opportunity to rejoice over finding that which was lost. God pursues that which is lost.
But that's not the only thing we're going to do. We're not just going to look at the Peshat level understanding of what we can get out of the words that Jesus said. We also want to do what's called Ramez. We want to look for those references, for those hints that Jesus was bearing within the parable that's going to take us to other places in the Old Testament. It's going to open up even more things. So we've got some possibilities here. I kind of already referenced one text where a shepherd shows up, that, that Psalm 23. That's a really cool psalm. I don't think that's quite where Jesus was trying to take here yet, um, trying to take us with this parable. So, well, okay, then we start looking through Scripture, and, and maybe we search on Bible Gateway, which is a great resource for trying to find Remezes, because you can just search like you would search Google, and it's, it does a really great job of finding you biblical passages. You'll find lots of stuff in Jeremiah. Jeremiah likes to use shepherd metaphors. You'll find some stuff in Zechariah. Zechariah also occasionally uses shepherd metaphors. There's just some interesting places to look around. Where I think Jesus wants his disciples to go with this, the text that he wants them to look at is Ezekiel 34, which the whole chapter is one big prophecy about shepherds and sheep. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. And then it goes on to talk about God judging between sheep and between sheep and goats and, and giving them uh, a shepherd, his servant David, to watch over them. And so there's all of this stuff in the text. And, and it started off saying that, that my sheep, God's sheep, which I would say we're a part of, have been entrusted to the shepherds. Uh, and here Ezekiel does a lot of prophecy uh, when he prophesies against Israel. It's about the, the priests and kind of how they failed their, their duty, what they were supposed to be doing and looking after Israel and, and God's people and how they fell short and, and didn't take care of, of the flock, didn't take care of the sheep. That's the big part about this metaphor is Jesus, God is saying, these shepherds that were appointed to watch my sheep have failed. And so now I'm going to take over and I'm going to be the sheep and I'm going to find those who are lost and I'm going to go after those so that they can have rest, so they can have good pasture, so they can lay down and they can rest. I want them to know that I'm the true shepherd, and, and I'm going to provide uh, other shepherds to watch over them. I'm going to give them the King David and, and those from the line of King David and the kings, and, and that all you know gets down to eventually we see this figure named Jesus as part of that line of kings following King David. And so Jesus... There's a tie into Jesus here where he's our shepherd and he's looking out after us and he's helping us to find green pastures and you have all those cool things going on. So what's our what's our drosh here? What's our take home from this? What are we what are we supposed to do? Well, I think there's a lot here about trusting God, that He is our shepherd, and that not only that. That, that having that knowledge that, that if we do wander off or if we have wandered off, one of the things that Jesus, that God rejoices in, that God loves to do, that God throws a party over, is getting to find a lost person. 
And so if you've wandered away, if you've found yourself to be lost, if you just feel distant from God, one of the things that he loves to do is to pursue you, is to run to you, is to welcome you back to the flock. And the thing about our For Everyone series is we've been trying to point out all these different ways that God is for everyone, that Jesus is for everyone. And, and I think we forget that not only is, it's not just like an open invitation, but for, from God's perspective, it's an active pursuit. He loves to find lost things. He wants you to be part of the flock. He wants to get to know your friends and, and your classmates and your neighbors. And God is actively pursuing their hearts. Some of the stories that we have in Scripture, some of the stories from the Old Testament, even some of the most difficult stories for us to maybe grasp and understand, we see God in active pursuit of everyone. The story that I'm thinking about right now is, is of Moses and Egypt and freeing God's people. And, and so it's the very beginning of the Exodus. And we have this thing that happens that are ten plagues. And that's a hard thing to, to talk about and, and seemingly difficult to talk about that in relation to for everyone. Because if God is for everyone, then why is he messing with the Egyptians and causing all these plagues to happen? And, and like, some people will say, well, it's, it's punishment for enslaving Israel, or it's, it's to give them the opportunity that once Israel takes off, then Egypt will want to have nothing to do with them, and they might even be happy that Israel has, has left and the slaves have been freed. But, but the thing about it is, well, I don't think that they may be happy when Israel's left, but they changed their mind pretty quickly because Pharaoh sends the army after the nation of Israel to try to take them back and bring them back to Egypt. So, so I don't think that later option is, is available. And there's the punishment thing. And while there's a lot that fits there, there are times when God punishes people. I'm not going to deny that. But that, for me, doesn't quite fit with what God is trying to do. Because in that story, God is pursuing Israel, but I think he also does something pretty profound. And I think God pursues Pharaoh. Because the thing about the ten plagues is if it was really the purpose was punishment, I mean, there's this, you know, drawn-out aspect and super punishing. and God could have skipped straight to number ten. He could just say, guess what, guys? We're taking this right to 10. We're killing all the firstborn. And then that's really going to be the thing. I know. I've seen Pharaoh's heart. I can see the hearts of all people. And if I go straight to 10, it's going to break him. And it's definitely going to punish Egypt because they're all going to lose their firstborn kids. And that's just going to break them. And then that's going to break our people free. And so if God just wanted to free his people and wanted to punch, punish Egypt, he could have done it in one fell swoop, jumped straight to plague number 10. But he has this drawn out process. And I think the reason he has the drawn out process is because through it all, he's pursuing Pharaoh. And he wants Pharaoh's heart. And he wants to give Pharaoh the opportunity to change his mind, to change his heart, to, to free the people on his own. Because every time that Moses comes to Pharaoh, it's with this proposal set my people free so that they may worship God in the desert. Do this for us so we can worship our God, so we can go get to know him better. He just kind of showed back up on the scene and he's been wowing our people by what he's been saying and showing you. 
We just want to be free. And I think if Pharaoh would have been able to swallow his pride and, and would have been able to not harden his heart, and I know there's lots of confusing language in that passage, and there's times where it talks about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And that's a whole big mess that I don't have time to open up right now. But I think Pharaoh is most often hardening his own heart and, 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 and increasing his resolve to, to keep the people enslaved, to not listen to God regardless of what he shows and what he does. Because there's ten plagues, and it seems like to me it kind of slowly ramps up in the punishment scale. And there could have been almost any point where Pharaoh could have turned and say, Yeah, Moses, I'll listen to you. I'll do the thing that you want to do. I'll set your people free. And yet he doesn't. God pursues. He pursues the hearts of people, not just of his chosen people, of the Israelites, but God is for everyone. And he thinks, I, th I think he wants all of us, from the highest king to the lowest person. I think he wants all of us to follow him. God loves to find lost things. And he's willing to actively pursue you. And he wants to run to you. But there is an element of us not hardening our hearts. Not increasing our resolve. Listening to what God is saying to us. Allow him to be our shepherd. And the reason that you know sheep belong to a shepherd is because those sheep listen to the voice of their shepherd. And so keep tuning in as each week we're going to go through another chapter of Matthew and going to hear more ways in which our shepherd is speaking to us, in which our rabbi is teaching to us. So let's continue to listen to Jesus' words, to follow his actions, to be like our rabbi. Hey, thanks for spending time with us today. If you have any questions about what you heard or any interest in learning more about CCF in Iowa, then please email us at ccf.uiowa at gmail.com and we would love to get you connected.